Thank you for listening to the podcast of Chronicles of War. I'm Darren Michael Shaw, author of the book. I've received a couple of inquiries about the music that surrounds the story in each podcast. That song was a popular folk tune and was unofficially adopted by the U.S. Regular Army during the War of 1812 and was said to have been a constant accompaniment during the Civil War. Although the words were changed many times over, these are said to have been the standard lyrics in Union camps. I'm lonesome since I crossed the hill and over the moor that's sedgy. Such lonely thoughts my heart do fill since parting with my Betsy. I seek for one as fair and gay, but find none to remind me how sweet the hours I passed away with the girl I left behind me. Well, there you have it. I hope you'll sing along. And now, Chronicles of War. call came from cover a few yards behind him. He turned just in time to see and catch, almost defensively, a whip of jerky tossed to him by his friend William. "'Tis all I have. Give that a try. Special recipe. Won't be too much longer." William had always been passionate about dried meat. He perfected his curing process to a real art form. Job and Harriet had enjoyed many such gifts over the years. They'd given up on asking what kind of meat each jerky treat was. It was often better not to know. More recently, William had come into possession of a new fermented condiment from England called Worcestershire sauce, and he'd used this in his curing process. As Job took a bite, he realized that William had spared no spices on this batch. His mouth tingled. Unless he was imagining things, his nasal passages were clearing to the radiating heat of the spices. It sure beat the hard tack that had been the daily ration since they had left Camp Kirkwood. It's a glorious invention, Job had written Harriet about hard tack after he had mustered in. The mating of wheat with mortar, methinks, resulting in the sharpening of one's incisors at the same time it satisfies their hunger. What time is it, Job wondered. He looked up to locate the sun and down to observe the fall of shadows when a thunderous roar started from below on the river. Porter's gunboats had opened fire again on Fort Hinman. Before he had steadied himself from the start, a second wave of thunderous cannonade commenced below his position. The artillery of Sherman's corps joined in to create a sublime canopy under which Job's unit and the others could advance. The waiting was over. "'Company!' came shouts from commanders. Without so much as a second to think, Job was drawn into a dead run. With his fellow soldiers, this time up the hill and to the left of Hinman, well within the range of rebel rifle pits. Surprisingly, they faced no small arms fire as they crossed that first clearing, taking up shelter in ravines mere yards from the enemy works, enemy works that were presently being pummeled by Union smoothbores and field artillery. With each incoming round, Job felt the earth beneath him concuss. He was now close enough to hear the panic stricken rebel soldiers many shouting directions, some pleading for help, and all in chaos as a result of the unrelenting volley. Then, 
Just as suddenly as it started, the big guns were stilled, leaving field commanders a moment to assess their situations. Word reached General McClernand that his adversary, General Thomas J. Churchill, would not under any circumstances surrender Fort Hinman, but rather that he had been given orders to fight until the last man died. At this news, McClernand ordered a merciless all-out assault, literally hoping to overwhelm the rebels by sheer volume. Smith's brigade would press to the left, Sheldon's brigade to the right, and William Tecumseh Sherman himself would storm the very center of Fort Hinman's defenses. Smith, from his vantage point, believed now the strategy would succeed. He knew, however, that it would come at a tremendous cost in the lives of his men. The lull ended. The big guns again began to sound a fury from the river below, and again the calls went up, Company! This advance was very different than the last. No longer was it a break and run. Enemy small arms fire was fierce. The rebels had retreated from their first line of works and began to defend the second line. They were now positioned and poised to snipe at each and every Union soldier who dared to raise his head. Job realized that their advance on foot had surpassed the range of much of the lower field artillery. At this point, only the larger guns on the ironclads were able to reach Fort Hinman and its outlying defenses. The men of Smith's regiment literally crawled forward in advance. Job laughed out loud at what a sight this must have been. Some thirty thousand men, he mused, crawling on their bellies towards open fire of five thousand men. McClernand's plan must certainly be to run the enemy out of shot, figuring we'll all have rumps full of it. His mind again turned to DeWitt. Look, look at that, Ryle. He emphatically whispered to his young son, pointing across the creek. A white-tailed buck stepped right out of the brush to take a sip of water. Careful, son, he urged under his breath, as Ryle leveled his rifle and sighted the animal. Easy. Time seemed to stand still. Boom! The repeat of the gun echoed off the bank on the other side of the creek. The buck jerked upward to turn and run, but then stumbled forward as if its front legs didn't agree. Job and his son jumped to their feet and raced down to the water's edge. The buck had breathed his last, and Job's youngest son had made his first hunting kill. Job had heard a lot of the scuttlebutt about General McClernand since he'd been mustered in. Most of it seemed to confirm what his friend Jonas Sullivan had told him, a politician with a military fancy. Often repeated, He's most eager for the glory of battle in order to enhance his political stature. That was said to have come from Colonel Smith's lips. There was even talk of General Grant having confronted General McClernand after the battle at Shiloh and having dressed him down in front of their subordinates. He's no strategist, one voice would contribute. We've walked the length of the Mississippi, and for what? The same thing at Fort Henry and Fort Donelson. Gall and Wormwood, a voice defending McClernand, sounded. Persecution of the West Pointers, that's all it is. McClernand's a volunteer. He's a regular. He's one of us. It was all disconcerting to Job, who wrestled internally with the worthiness of this cause and his own decision to volunteer. Now he would have to begin wondering which of his superiors and which of their strategies were worthy. I saw General McClernand today, Job wrote home to Harriet. A fine-looking beard, he teased. It's sharpened to a point so as surely to protect the man's mandible from a direct attack. Tis fit to divert a blow. 
It would seem that when he wrote, however, he would catch himself just as sharing observations of details began. From McClernand's beard, Job moved immediately to what mattered most. How do you cope, my dearest heart? I think of you and our children constantly. How do Lewis's ciphers go? A farming man needs a keen ability with ciphering to make good in this world. Don't let him forget that. It's about hard work, yes, but about well-reasoned work also. Harriet, for her part, was noticing that Job's letters were containing more a tone of final exhortation to his family than his earlier notes had. Don't let him forget that. You can remind him yourself. You'll have years to remind him, she would declare in her thoughts, as if to reassure herself. She revisited their wedding day, when it seemed that they had nothing but time together to look forward to. There, too, I plight thee my troth. Nineteen-year-old Job concluded his vows, moisture ribbing his eyes. The preacher went on for a while afterwards, but neither Job nor Harriet would collect a word of it. At long last the words, I pronounce thee to be husband and wife, were spoken. It was the most perfect moment of her life. This concludes Episode 5 of Chronicles of War. I want to thank you for helping me get the word out about these podcasts. In the last few weeks, we've added a number of new subscribers. Please, if you're enjoying the story, tell others about it. Your efforts to help me spread the word are very much appreciated. Please stop by my website, www.darrenmichaelshaw.com, or drop me an email. I'd love to make your acquaintance. That email address is darren at darrenmichaelshaw.com. As always, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the story. Until then, I'm Darren Michael Shaw. Thank you for joining me.